This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire, and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at paycor.com slash leaders. That's P-A-Y-C-O-R dot com slash leaders. Okay, here we go. We are live on YouTube to talk about another very weird Republican debate. Very weird. And I have the perfect people to do it with. They also happen to be the new hosts of a new MSNBC show called The Weekend, premiering on weekend mornings in January. So with me at the table here in Washington, former RNC chairman Michael Steele. Uh And former chief communications director to Vice President Kamala Harris, Simone Sanders Townsend. MSNBC anchor Alicia Menendez is joining us from New York. She was anchoring two hours already today. So thank you for still being with us. And we could do a YouTube show without our resident YouTube star, of course. Brian Tyler Cohen is here, and he'll be gathering your questions for us throughout the night. You can send them in the chat. We'll be answering them. Ask us anything. I may regret saying that, but I probably won't. Um, So we're going to take you to the spin room. We've got some special guests stopping by. We've got snacks. Yes. We've got snacks, Lots of snacks. Uh, Alicia, if you didn't get snacks, we will make it up to you. Uh, We have caffeine. Um, If you chose not to watch tonight's debate, we'd all totally get it. So we watched it for you. And we're going to get you caught up very quickly. Four candidates not named Donald Trump took to the stage tonight in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And what may have been, and there's a lot of competition, but it may have been the most off-the-rails debate yet. The only person more fascist than the Biden regime now is Nikki Haley. You can put lipstick on a Dick Cheney. It is still a fascist neocon. This is the fourth debate, the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a while. Do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself off that stage. Enjoy a nice meal and get the hell out of this place. Is he fit? You have your thing. Is he fit or is he? No, I don't have my thing. We don't. He's the thing. Is he fit? Do not or want to do You're that's talking about him being 80, 80 years old. It doesn't mean that somebody is he couldn't fit? get elected. That's Ron, the all right, guys. That was special. <laughs> that was so special. All right, Michael Steele. Have you ever seen Love and Hip Hop? I know. Near the Cardi B moment That's... where Cardi B is like, what was the reason? What was the reason? <laughs> that, was Chris that was Chris Christie. I think Christy. I saw yes. that on Twitter tonight. Yes. It may, yes. Maybe it was you it was using me. that on Twitter <laughs> yeah. tonight. All right, so, Simone, we saw some key moments there, I suppose. Key moments? Crazy moments? I don't even know. Crazy. Well, give us, what was your takeaway watching the whole debate? Well, I watched the last debate as well, like we all did. I thought the last debate, and I hate to say this, but it was a little, it was a little boring. It was a little muted. The last The one. last debate. This debate was not muted. It was the opposite of the last debate. The last debate, I would argue, was more policy, substantive, right? This debate, we're, you know, we're talking about not even the core things of Donald Trump. So I thought that Nikki Haley, out of all the people on the stage look like the adult on the stage, if you will. I still have yet to see a president. Uh, It was concerning. People sounded angry. You know, it sounded—they were yelling, they were screaming. Uh, I was shocked that abortion didn't come up. I'm more Mm -hmm. shocked that abortion didn't come up and health care didn't come up, but yet 
Vivek Ramaswamy found time to bring up climate change at the end. Uh, and anti-trans. More yeah, anti-trans yeah, yeah, yeah. than right. anti-Trump. Okay, Michael Steele, so give I come, us your take. I come at you it a little bit. Uh, Don't hold back today. No, no, no. We're on YouTube. Hold back. Me hold back? I'm joking. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm going to differ a little bit from my friend, uh, Simone. I, uh, Nikki Haley was muted in my view, this you, evening. Do you think that was purposeful? Because I, I kind think, of think maybe. I think a little bit, yes. Um, in, in the political parlance, it was, you got the lead, hold it. Don't mm-hmm. do anything or say anything that gives away your, your lead or your opportunity. The problem is, you still have to do something. And there were moments where she tried, but it's, it's one of those things when you're playing catch up in that, in that space, when, when the, when the incoming is coming and you're just sort of standing there and not really engaging, it becomes a little bit of a problem. So I give the evening to Chris Christie mm. for two reasons. One, he was the only one who made it very clear that the guy they needed to beat was Donald Trump. He is 40 points ahead of all of them. And so as he noted, we're going after each other and he's the one who's winning. So I thought that was important. And two, I think there was a little bit more gravitas from him on some of the issues that they did discuss, where he sort of he sort of admitted where, you know, in the past, his position may have been one thing. And he sort of talked about how he kind of grew in that moment. So I would give him the advantage on this debate. Uh, tonight. Well, I guess it depends on whether Republican primary voters relate well, that's, to But what that's not the point he here. You oh, you're way past that. You're way past performance Repub- on the debate yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, performance on the debate stage. You're not. He's not picking up voters tonight. Yes. He's not going from from three to eight. Tomorrow. That, but he's that, going for history, I think. He's going. He's going he, he had some good moments. We'll talk about those. Okay, Alicia, hello in New York. Tell us what you thought. What was your takeaway from that Jim wild Saki, and crazy toad ride? I will not be sharing my analysis until snacks and caffeine are provided. <laughs> I was given this. Well, I know. Cup if you of were here, water, water, so I feel, what you'd requested, but or what I thought you might like, maybe is more what it is. I mean, the best part of the entire debate was texting with Simone. Outside of that, it felt like I was watching the darkest, saddest games of Mad Libs ever. Fauci, Soros, woke industrial complex, fentanyl, all the talk about trans kids. Really no focus on any of the issues that matter and are going to drive voters to the polls, at least when you're talking about a general election. I mean, I think we all know these these ideas aren't coming from nowhere. They're clearly showing up in focus groups. Perhaps they're showing up in in polling. Uh, But what it means is that they're spending time on this stage, not talking about the stakes at all, not talking about the alternative reality where Donald Trump is to win the nomination. They're not even talking about just the issues that are top of mind for voters, like the economy, like housing affordability. There was, you know, some weird riff from DeSantis about drilling for oil as a way of somehow bringing down uh, the price of gas prices. Uh, Simone said it. There was no talk about abortion. It's stunning to me. And granted, I did take several breaks, so you'll forgive me if I missed it. But I mean, there was another mass shooting in this country today. (laughs) You didn't miss it. I didn't miss it. There was another mass shooting in this country today, and and there was no talk about guns and gun culture. So it it felt just completely disconnected from the reality of the moment. And, And to Michael's point, yeah, this may not be about picking up any voters, but you know, this is the alternate slate of candidates we mm-hmm. could be looking at in some weird world where it's not Donald Trump. And you don't get the sense substantively 
that you're seeing anything that meets the moment. Yeah, there are moments in these debates, I totally agree, where it feels, do you guys know what Second Life, do you remember what Second mm-hmm. Life is? It's like that alternative universe online. And there were moments in this debate, but others, where I felt like Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy were like chat GPT candidates, where they were like <laughs> spitting out words that didn't necessarily make sense together. And the differentiator for me was in part that whether you like Chris Christie or not, or, um, or Nikki Haley or not, they spoke like actual human yeah. beings, yeah. and the other two were kind of like, they had like a Mad Libs of words they were supposed to say well, over and over again. They were the most desperate. I mean, when yeah. you think about, uh, you know, Christie and Haley, Christie long ago disabused himself of the notion of actually being the nominee for obvious reasons. The base gives him a negative 56% approval plus. Uh, but for Vivek and, and for DeSantis, they were in play. You know, they were they were the guys who were bringing the juice and especially DeSantis. So now when you're DeSantis and you're dropping to fourth and fifth place in a four man race. Yeah, <laughs> not fifth in a four man race. <laughs> <laughs> I can count. Mm-mm. Fourth in a four man race is no, still not no, good. You're fifth, but Doug Burgum, a four person race, you know, may not be on the stage. You know, there was this crazy. So so Vivek, so if you guys can pull up number 11, um, we're Vivek. And just to go to Alicia's point, sometimes we forget the crazy things that are said at these debates. And it's kind of like they just get washed through the moment. Um, but Vivek talked about January 6th as an inside job. I mean, one of our producers was making the point like, yeah, it was because Trump was running the White House. Okay, so let's play this and we can talk about it. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job, that the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? that the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform, that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech. Like my- Nikki used to be big tech. <laughs> yeah, yes. I just I, I, yes, I feel gaslit in an alternative yes. reality here. And I w- one could it's say bad second life, yes. evil second life, evil Simone. second life. Maybe it was an inside job because you know Speaker Mike Johnson, who today said that he was going to blur the faces of people in the video of yeah. the January six tapes that will be released. He was one of the chief cheerleaders of the insurrection and everything Donald Trump did in, in the lead up too. He was on the phone with Donald Trump almost every day and then was tweeting about it. Yeah. So. In that case, maybe it was an inside job. I I just think this is divorced from the reality of everyone else. But I mean, Mr. Chairman, as you know, for people, there are people in this country that believe what he said, that believe that like this really didn't happen in that way. It was Antifa. This was a ploy to get Donald Trump. And that is one of the most concerning parts for me, that some of the craziest things we heard on that debate stage are things that people do believe. That's a, that's such a good point, because when you compare you compare that to the speaker's comment about blurring the faces and the Republican hot rhetoric that it was BLM and Antifa, mm. then why are you blurring? The, you're protecting BLM and Antifa. <laughs> is that is that what? Oh, is that what you're doing, Mr. Speaker? We're protecting those guys. No. But this this moment was not for rational people mm. who watched them attack the Capitol. It's for those bases, for that part of the base that's still stuck in the idea of conspiracy. That litany that Vivek put out there was nothing but conspiracy BS. No, of course. And he knew it. 
and he was selling it because he got owned earlier in the base in the debate by Chris Christie, not once, but several times. And on the back end, he's trying to figure out how he can reassure himself with that base. The man doesn't have the gravitas for the presidency. But here's the reality. He doesn't have the gravitas with the base for them to move off of Trump to him. No, nope, and that's the reality. They don't entirely maybe take him serious. They, they, no, they like don't. his words. No, he's good entertainment. He's good entertainment. He's flashy, loud noise. I mean, I'm going to let you guys think about your thoughts on the Stephen Miller Taylor Swift controversy, which we'll talk about later. But first, we're going to go to Brian Tyler Cohen, who has some questions from people on YouTube, um, and we'll just divide them up. Help me, Brian. And Elisa, some of these are coming for you too. Okay, Brian, what do you got? Well, look, I, I think it would only be smart right now to ask one question from me, and that is, could everybody here please go ahead and name uh, three provinces in eastern Ukraine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wait, first of all, does someone want to put American boots on the ground in Ukraine on that stage? Well, I, no. I didn't think anybody no. did. So I was just like, what is he talking about? <laughs> it's it's a total straw man. First of all, it's a total straw man. But second of all, he, he came in thinking that this would that this would be some like cool gotcha moment for for Vivek. And instead, it, it just made it I mean, it, it makes it makes him look like he spent four minutes on Google prior to the debate looking up some lame gotcha moment. That's like it. on the way, on the way. He was like, yeah, tough Ukraine question. <laughs> give me one hey, Siri. chat GPT and give me some words. Exactly. Nobody, okay, Brian, nobody's sitting there watching us? that debate. Well, I was going to say, nobody that is sitting there watching that debate thought that prior to Googling that answer, that Vivek was some uh, expert on eastern Ukrainian no. provinces. But No, uh, no, no. But, but I mean, I are. also have to say, listening to Ron DeSantis talk about foreign policy and say, for, it's a red flag when someone says, I know a lot about this issue. Right. And you're like, I don't know. I don't and then know. he starts talking. You're like, things you do not know yeah, about nothing. include foreign policy. Right. OK, go ahead, Brian. Okay, so we have a question from Faith Adams, and the question is, do you think if all but one candidate dropped out of the race and focused on running against Trump, that that lone person could win the nomination? And who do you think that that person would be? Oh, I, this is like fantasy football version of politics. Yeah, I kind of love it. Okay, Simone, what do you think? I just think, no, no. Look, I think that a lot of people say, oh, if, if Haley gets, if DeSantis gets out, it helps Nikki Haley. But in all of the polling, DeSantis's voters, their second choice is Donald Trump, not Nikki Haley. Now, some would say, I think, Mr. Chairman, maybe you told me, well, it's a competition. You got to give him a chance. But I don't know. I just think that the base is beholden to Donald Trump. Nick, that, that one candidate would have to attack Donald Trump. Where? I know. It's, it's a tough—OK, we're going to keep taking them. So, like, you know, Brian, what else you got? All right. So here's—this is a question for me, and I'm, I'm especially interested in this one. But is there a world in which a third-party candidate, uh, their presence in this race doesn't redound to Trump's benefit? Hell oh. no. <laughs> Michael, that Alicia my, just Michael, wants, Michael wants this one. That Alicia, is my, cons that is my considered political uh, opinion. No, no. Every number I have seen, there is not one poll that's been shown, a legitimate poll, serious poll that's been shown, uh, that's been taken and shown that I've seen where Donald Trump loses with a third party candidate in the race. And right now, polling is showing that on the Democratic side, that um, those people on the ballot against uh, Biden are, are hurting him, uh, you know, potentially in a general election. I mean, yeah. So those votes are leaving the president 
and going somewhere else. And if they're not going to Kennedy, they're going to uh, Trump. So the reality of it is this race has to be a race between the two. Anything else other than that will require the Democrats to do something that's on a scale that's twice or three times what they did in 2022. Meaning turning more people out. Turning out their vote. Because you've got to overcompensate for the drag that those candidates are going to create in that general election. This is not 1992, um, where, you know, you had George, you know, George Bush, uh, out there running and you had, you know, all these other activities that were not as important. And even then, Ross Perot got 17% of the national vote, right. but didn't pull enough to hurt Bush, um, uh, considerably. So the reality for, for, well, he lost the race, but the reality of it is third party candidates here are devastation to uh, Biden right now. And they've got to figure out how this is going to work going into next year soon. Can yes. I add one quick point there to just say that if if there are a number of candidates that are actually meeting ballot access and getting on the ballot, where they get on the ballot in general election matters. And there is a scenario where a candidate gets enough candidates get on the ballot where no one reaches 270. They yes. get very close. And then in that instance, hello, 12th Amendment, the House picks the president and the Senate picks the vice president. And Mike Johnson is very empowered. OK, we can't let Alicia off the hook here because, you know, we got to get more and more questions. So, Brian, what, what do you have? What's the next one from a, somebody watching? Yes. Yeah, so we have uh, we well we have one from Coach Hayes. And the question is, how do Biden Coach and Harris Hayes, reach out I love to that. Black? Hello, Coach Hayes. Yes. How do, how do Biden and Harris reach out to black and brown men and should they invest in southern states? And I'm going to add to that and just um, and basically how much do they invest in areas where Democrats don't typically invest, knowing that resources are finite? This is Simone's area of expertise, so I'm going to kick it back to Simone. But I like that at least now we have that questions that are existing here on Planet One. <laughs> I would just know they have to invest in some of these other areas. I mean, you think about Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock, yeah. the senator in Georgia, who won the, his Senate race multiple times by running a, by closing the margins in places in rural Georgia where Democrats usually do not do well. It's how Joe Biden won in 2020, closing up the margins in places where Democrats usually don't do well. You cannot go into places in the South and rural areas and get clobbered. It will not work. You will not win as a, as a Democrat. And so they must invest. I, I think that the ads are great. Um, I spoke to Quentin Folks, who is the, one of the deputy campaign mm -hmm. managers, and he noted that they're going to start investing in some doorknobs. Race. He ran, yes, he ran Warnock's race, so he knows a little bit something about closing the gaps. Yeah. So he said that they're going to start investing in on-the-ground uh, organizing. Right now, they've put a record number of money into ads, which is important, digital ads, on-television ads, uh, targeting black and brown voters. But getting into communities, the barbershops, the beauty shops, and the Bible studies, as I like to say, is going to be very, very important yeah. to close some of those margins. Because okay. black men and Latino men, they are, they are I, would, I think Democrats should be looking at them as independent, persuadable voters. That they need to bring, and mm -hmm. some of them need to bring back. Okay, we're going to come back to Brian Tyler Cohen. Keep your questions coming. Alicia, we're going to have many coming to you the next round, so be ready. Uh, but let's go to the spin room in Tuscaloosa and bring in former Alabama Senator Doug Jones, who's there as a surrogate for the Biden campaign. Well, Senator, how is it feeling there in the spin room? Uh, you're, you probably don't have a lot of fans there, but what are you seeing there in the spin room around you? 
Uh, it's just spinning, spinning around and around, and everybody's trying to make the best of a bad situation. That's just all the way it is. I mean, look, I've been asked every time I got stopped over here uh, what I thought about this, uh, about the debate. And I said, this is, it was not a debate. There was no debate, and there was no policy. There was very little of that. It was all name-calling. It was all bullying. Uh, and they're trying to get their best foot forward here. But the fact is, I, Jen, I can't see any votes being changed uh, out of what happened here tonight. It's the same story, the lack of policy. Hell, they spent 20 minutes on talking about bathrooms. You know, Joe Biden is trying to protect democracy around the world, and they talk about bathrooms. That's that's just the way this is, went tonight. Yeah, that is, that is so true. I can't even... The, the amount they talked about anti-trans legislation and anti-trans policies, and they were trying to out anti-trans one another, uh, was just mind-boggling to me. Uh, have you seen yeah. have any of the candidates come into the spin room? Has there been a, a big group yeah, of supporting one over another? No, I don't think I've seen a big group. I mean, obviously, you got a, a horde of media here. Uh, and I saw Mr. Ramaswamy uh, here earlier, and there was a big crowd around him. Uh, Nikki Haley was giving some uh, remarks up there on the set a few minutes ago. There was a big crowd waiting to talk to her. But uh, that's the only two I've seen uh, here. But it's just, I mean, look, I, I, it, the fact that they've got to come explain themselves, <laughs> I think, says a lot. Uh, about the lack of real policy and the lack of real uh, in, in anything that came out of this today. That's the that's the thing. I don't think anybody should be surprised at what we saw uh, here today. You know, Chris Christie did exactly what he does, and that is attack uh, the president, uh, President Trump. Uh, but at the same time, he still got that Trump agenda uh, behind him. It's been a what you saw, and this is the irony of all of this. You saw. All of these candidates talking about a Trump agenda without calling it a Trump agenda. And they're trying to wrest the nomination from uh, Donald Trump, who was not here. Um, it was just it was just crazy. I mean, it was just something that I think people in America are just the, the, the ones that watched are just shaking their heads, probably. And I don't think it moved anybody. Yeah, that's probably true. Senator, did you, have you talked to the Biden campaign? Did they watch it? What did they think of the debate tonight? Same thing. We were we were kind of several of us were watching that together. And it was, you know, you just you just look at this and you and you just kind of think, what 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 the, what the hell are they talking about? In many of the instances, <laughs> especially when you're it just it, it, a lot of it just made no sense. And everybody was trying to one up each other about what they did as a governor or what they did as a, a business person or what they did as a, a prosecutor. That's all this was. And the thing that you didn't hear, nobody really addressed. What are they going to do? Are they are they going to really dismantle Social Security like so many Republicans in the Congress want to do? Are they going to dismantle Medicare? What are they going to do about the Affordable Care Act? What are they really going to do? Do they have a plan that, to really give health care uh, to the American people? None of that was uh, addressed. They had every opportunity to do that, uh, and they didn't take it. And there's a reason for that, because they have no real policies, Jen. They, this, is, this is all about division. It's about... Uh, living in the past, it is about the uh, retribution, even though they deny that for themselves. Um, that's all this is about for this party right now. And it's a really sad state of affairs, in my view. Senator Michael Steele here. So I, I, I take to heart everything you just said there, and it's all absolutely true. But the latest polls have Donald well, Trump over Joe Biden by four points, 48 to 44. So despite yeah. all of the, everything you just said, the guy with 91 indictments, 
whose party can't seem to get themselves out of a, a bag that's opened at both ends, is beating an, an incumbent president who has had a sound, solid legislative as well as political agenda. So how how do you or how does the Biden team reconcile their campaign against that fact, that reality at this moment? Because those are your numbers and you're right. But at the end of the day, you got to you got to climb out of a four point deficit in just this poll. And there are others that show that may be widening. So particularly with respect to African-American men and Hispanic men, Trump's stuff is resonating. Michael, so h- how do you see that? My, let me tell you, here we're, we're at the we're on the campus of the University of Alabama. At, at the beginning of the football season this year, they wrote this football team off. And now we're in the playoffs for the national championship. OK, now I know there's controversy about that. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I use that sh- as an example, but OK, we'll go. <laughs> no, with no, no, no. Here's the thing. Here, here's the point of that, Michael. Here's the point. They stuck with their plan. They stuck with their process. They didn't listen to the naysayers. They demonstrated time and time again to people around the country, to people, their fans and others, that they are a talented football team that can get the job done. And regardless of whether you agree with their selection, they got the job done. And that, and that, that's what exactly what Joe Biden has been doing his entire presidency. He has been getting the job done. And as this campaign goes forward and as people have the the two choices which is looks very much like it's going to be donald trump uh, and joe biden people are going to start focusing in on that and they're going to start focusing in on the chaos as nikki haley said that that uh, donald trump creates and they're going to focus on the uh, job that joe biden did pulling us out of COVID, saving democracy around the world trying to do all of those things bringing jobs in the chips act you name it canceling student debt which is going to happen uh help so many people in Alabama and elsewhere. That's how you get this done. You don't panic. You don't look at a poll that's a snapshot of a day, a year out from an election. You wait. And the thing about the polls, Michael, and you know this, mm-hmm. the, the only polls that really count are the elections. And look what Democrats and Joe Biden have done in elections since 2020. They have defied all of the so-called polls leading up. And people voted and they voted for the policies of this president because he's getting the job done. And that's what I truly believe is going to happen in 2024. Alicia, I know, has a question for you, Senator. So take it away, Alicia. Senator, I was struck. Yes, you had Chris Christie sort of prosecuting the case against Donald Trump. You had Vivek with his, you know, Mary Poppins bag of conspiracy theories. But there were (laughs) there were cracks in the way that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis were both this time talking about Donald Trump. I'm not sure if you caught that reference. Haley said something like, well, as good as people like to say the Trump economy was, and then she went on to criticize him on the deficit. DeSantis complaining about Trump's age, which I thought was interesting because it would have been a much harder and better hit if he had gone after the question of acuity and the mistakes that we see Donald Trump making out on the trail when he's giving interviews. In the room, did any of that land? How was it when you had DeSantis, when you had Haley making even sort of those those marginal exceptions for their general praise for Donald Trump? And and how did the Chris Christie prosecution land? 
Well, you heard the booze from from Chris Christie on another a number of occasions. He had to he had to stop at one point to say you can boo, uh, but I'm the only one up here telling the truth about Donald Trump. And I think, in fact, uh, he was. I don't think that those landed uh, well at all. I don't think they really landed uh, any hard blows against the president. You know, the fact of the matter is that, as Santos said. Uh, said that it was a, you know, Republicans and Democrats, uh, who increased the deficit. But what he didn't say is that we almost had to in a number of things to fight COVID. That's what the, this president has had to do. We had to come out of COVID. We had to increase the deficit a little bit to do that. What they're also not saying about inflation, uh, they, they love the fact that the stock market is still going and corporate profits are up. But they're not trying to make that connection that corporate profits have a direct connection to the price of goods that people are paying every day and those inflationary prices, whether it's gasoline or whether it's, you know, the, the price of butter. Uh, those are the th- things that, that they just didn't say. So they hit top lines, they hit their talking points, okay. but then there was no real substance behind the talking points. Senate, Senator, Senator Jones, so thank you so much for joining us from the spin room, right in the belly's beast there. We really appreciate you. Uh, have a good rest of your evening. This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire, and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at Paycor.com slash leaders. That's P-A-Y-C-O-R dot slash leaders. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. So all everybody's brought up... Chris Christie. And I would love if you guys could pull up. I I thought one of the most interesting moments, I'm not sure it was so impactful, but I wonder what everybody thinks, was when he defended Nikki Haley. So let's pull up number, uh, side number five. Um, and when we have that ready, we'll play it. But what'd you think of that? Well, I was, I was walking into my, to my dinner where I had my red wine down the street. (laughs) And, um, I was walking in, I was listening. I said, Oh, were you watching the debate on your phone? I was. I was. I'm unfortunately (laughs) on the app that they suggested you to watch it on. leading right after. Uh, but I, I was like, oh, my goodness, I did not have Chris Christie being a defender of women on, on my bingo card on that debate stage tonight. It was, and I heard you on with Alex earlier, it wasn't the right thing to do. It was a nice thing mm. to do. It's not the competitive thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. I mean, just the personal way in which Vivek Ramaswamy has been attacking Nikki Haley, I think is just tasteless and it is not it's kind of garnering him any support. It's getting very personal. Yeah, it's like gross. Yeah. Let's play this and we'll keep we'll keep talking about Chris Christie, your guy who won uh, the debate. We're now 25 minutes into this debate and he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence, not her positions, her basic intelligence. She doesn't know regions. She wouldn't be able to find something on a map that his three year old could find. Look, If you want to disagree on issues, that's fine. And Nikki and I disagree on some issues. But I'll tell you this, I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's even started to vote in a Republican primary. (laughs) 
And while we disagree about some issues and we disagree about who should be president of the United States, what we don't disagree on is this is a smart, accomplished woman. You should stop insulting so her. Nikki Haley bought uh, Chris Christie a drink tonight. I mean, yeah. for sure. sure. Yeah. I, it was like a bit of like an old school throwback mm. moment to me to politics where we disagree without being disagreeable. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just that's that's the way it used to be. I mean, in, in the level of personal ad hominem attacks that Vivek is doing is is out of the Trump playbook is is sort of that Trump character that he's trying to personify on the stage and show Trump's not here but I'm in his shoes right and and, and Christie basically knocked him out of his shoes and and took him down a lot I mean and it was very clear how desperate he became as a consequence of that because he was just trying to find anything to claw back on Nikki appropriately stood there and said thank you and, and nodded her head. Because in that moment... Although you said earlier that you thought she was very quiet, and that doesn't work. Well, she was work. quiet there, but, that, but that's, that's a different moment yeah. than the rest of the debate. The rest of the... I mean, certainly in the beginning, um, Nikki was not the Nikki from the last three debates, in my view, she, where she came in and almost immediately grabbed command of the stage. She didn't this time, and I think she didn't for probably advice of, you know, some of her team. But that's... That moment stood out on its own because Chris Christie did what a a traditional candidate for the office of the presidency would do when, you know, on a stage like that, where someone is being an ass and says, look, okay, that's not why we're here. And you can't go after her or him that way. And so I thought that was a solid moment for, for both him and Nikki. And again, I'm thinking about it, you know. That's why those two stood out in that space for me, and the other two seemed very much more desperate this time. In the survivor version, the alliances were built. The alliances tonight. were built. It was very clear. That's right. That's so right. I know we have. Let's get to another special guest, Molly Jung Fast, all of our friends. Molly, Molly! Jung Fast. Molly, what's up? Uh, she's a special <laughs> correspondent for Vanity Fair. She's also the host of the Fast Politics podcast. So, Molly, I definitely want to know everything you think. I've been thinking about <laughs> as we're about to talk to you about all of the things that did not come up tonight. So more anti-trans than anti-Trump. Simone brought up abortion, how that was not a topic. Alicia brought up gun violence. I mean, there was a shooting today. What stuck out to you as things that were kind of like stunningly absent from the debate? Well, I mean, the biggest one is Trump, right? You have all of these people fighting for second place and they can't touch Trump. I mean, there was a little more of that, but that certainly was. I mean, the thing that was horrific to me and sort of jaw dropping was when Vivek went on the environment and he's like, I've never known anyone to be anti-environment. Like that was an amazing. I mean, that was like amazing. Super anti-environment. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I guess he's he doesn't not just not believe in climate change. He also doesn't believe in that you should even have an environment. I mean, he really like I, what I thought was interesting was as he was losing this debate and he was booed. I think he was booed three or four times where mm -hmm. the crowd actually booed him. And this was a very friendly crowd who wanted to like crazy stuff. But they could even he was a bridge too far. But I thought was interesting was he kept getting booed. And as he got booed, he got crazier and crazier. And so yeah. that January, when he when he said January 6th was an inside job, it was almost like a desperate moment to try to like wrestle back the stage. 
And I thought that was watching someone like decompensate in real time by trying to do all the things that work for Trump, which I think is interesting, is it was something. And I did think it was interesting. I mean, DeSantis, too, tries to also be Trump without Trump. Right. And he keeps going back to these policies as if policies have something to do with Trumpism. So I thought that was interesting, too. That is there was this moment and maybe we can pull this up and I'm just looking at which number this was. Oh, the dictator moment, um, yeah. which really stuck out to me. The DeSantis response on the dictator comments. Um, and when we pull that and we have that ready, we can watch it. But Molly, were there, you mentioned DeSantis, were there kind of particular moments where DeSantis's desperation came out? That was one to me. But Michael's been right. talking a bit about these, de how they, these were two desperate candidates and then two other candidates who were maybe, I mean, they were, came they, across as less desperate. Well, yeah, they were less. They were more grounded in where they wanted to go in that debate. Yeah, yeah. What? It, yeah. I mean, DeSantis is so interesting to me because he's just very bad at like retail politics. I mean, I feel like you guys, human interaction. Simone, you must be. <laughs> Some might say yeah, just be so awkward. glad he's not. Right. It's so awkward. Like nobody noticed that this guy was so uncomfortable and. You know, so even I saw it so much with the Newsom debate when he was with Newsom and Newsom was just like wiping the floor with him. And he kept saying, you're a liar. You're a liar. And I was like, I don't think this is the effective way to debate someone. And so no. he does, you know, again, with him, I always wonder, is it like he's so bad or they're so good? But he definitely had moments of that tonight where he just looked like lost. It was like a it's like a tick at times or something. I'm not sure. But we have that thought. So let's play that and then we can all talk about it. Look, uh, the media is making a big deal about what he said about some of these comments. I would just remind people uh, that is not how he governed. He didn't even fire Dr. Fauci. He didn't fire Christopher Ray. He didn't clean up the swamp. He said he was going to drain it. He did not drain it. He said he was going to build the wall and have Mexico pay for it. We don't have the wall. Uh, he did say in 2016 he'd have the largest deportation program in history. He deported less than Barack Obama did when Barack Obama was president. So some of the some of these policies he ran on in 16, I was cheering him on then, but he didn't deliver it. I mean, I want him to be a little dictator in 2016. He didn't do it. Crazy. Trump is not a dictator enough. I will out dictator him. So, Alicia, I know you flagged this this moment as one that stuck out to you. It stuck out to me as well. Give us your take on it. Well, it, we're waiting for all of them to say, hey, listen, fellow Republicans, I know you want to go and vote for Donald Trump, but let me lay out for you why that is a bad idea. Let me lay out to you the way in which he has proven to be a threat to democracy and has promised to be a threat to democracy in the coming days. This was in the opposite direction. This was as though what he <laughs> yeah. wanted was was more of that. Um, and it reminded me, you know, yeah, Donald Trump wasn't there, but Trumpism was all over the stage in terms of what they were selling to voters, uh, in terms of style, just sort of the meanness, the cruelty, this dark vision of America where everything is scary. There was not a, a glimmer of hope on that stage where no one said, here's my vision of America. I, I imagine America to be a land of promise and opportunity. I imagine our democracy to be stronger than ever before. No, there was doom and gloom. And Ron DeSantis saying, I just wish that Donald Trump would have gone harder on his very worst instincts. And so in that way, yeah, Donald Trump 
you know, is likely, if you believe the polling, to, to be their nominee, even if you're living in another reality where he's not the nominee, any of these folks are still carrying his water to different degrees. And DeSantis, to your point, Alicia, is like he's been running to the right of Donald Trump in certain areas. I will be more authoritarian. I will be more of a dictator. Mm -hmm. I will take over control more of government. Um, Molly, John Fast, I'm told you have an early morning Joe hit. So uh, (laughs) what are you doing here? (laughs) I just want to. But I but I think you guys are right. And DeSantis continues to run on policy. He thinks somehow Trumpism is about policy when Trumpism was never about policy. Mm -hmm. It was always about personality. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. Molly, keep writing. Keep tweeting. Keep fighting. We love you you doing all your things. We'll see you very early on Morning Joe. This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire, and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at Paycor.com slash leaders. That's P-A-Y-C-O-R dot com slash leaders. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Um, I'm told we have another special guest joining the conversation. Robert Gibbs is with us. My old boss. He's like my favorite boss. You know, don't tell other bosses (laughs) who are watching on YouTube. Um, Very smart. He's the former White House press secretary for President Obama. Okay, Gibbs, you have prepped a lot of people for debates. You've watched a lot of debates. Give us your unvarnished. uh, What was the craziest moment here and your takeaway on whether this will have any impact in any way? And maybe who's going to be second place? I'll ask that question. Yeah. I, you know, I think in terms of the craziest moment, I think just any time Vivek opened his mouth and engaged, particularly, I thought, in just a, a nasty way uh, with Nikki Haley. I mean, it, it takes a lot to get booed uh, at your own party, and he did. Uh, so I, I was really struck by that. I thought, um, you know, I thought Nikki Haley, who gain momentum out of her performance in a number of these debates just did not have quite the showing that she has had in the past. I think she spent a lot of time probably thinking to herself, are these things I need to respond to? Are these things I need to ignore? Mm -hmm. I think in the end, she started to begin to say, look, I'm just not even going to, you know, ask me, do you want to respond? I don't. I thought Christie was much stronger. You could see him assert himself in a way we really haven't seen in some of these debates. The challenge, obviously, for Chris Christie is there's just not a pool of voters in the Republican primary that that makes him in danger of being the nominee. Um, DeSantis, continually awkward, but probably had a better night than I think he's had in the past. Um, I I don't know if anybody. First of all, I think there's a real challenge as to how many people saw this debate. Right. Mm -hmm. We're 40 days from the caucus. Uh, in Iowa, which is kind of a stunning thing. It's it's really crept up on us. And 
I, you know, the obvious and big winner tonight is the the guy who didn't show up, and that's Donald Trump. Nobody's in danger on that stage of of taking a big chunk or even a small chunk of his caucus vote in, in what he did and said tonight. And uh, I think by skipping these debates, he's made a, a really smart, strategic decision uh, not to let these guys take swings at him directly. Yeah, I mean, the, the Nikki Haley controlled aspect, I mean, Michael was saying earlier, it's like she was told maybe there's polling. She's also kind of yeah. on the upswing. It was it reminded me and Gibbs, you'll know what I'm talking about. And others may, too. At the White House podium, in the back of the podium, there's a little space for like a cup. Mm-hmm. And Dana Perino writes and wrote in her book about how when the press in there were acting crazy, she would just like flip them the bird and nobody could see. And I was thinking like, <laughs> is Nikki Haley just yeah. like flipping the bird at oh, all of was, them? She was and she's just, a lot of birds. Right. And yeah. she's just like <laughs> staying controlled because she knows she needs to be. What I also thought was interesting, and you always raise abortion, Simone. So it, it, it didn't really come up. Nikki Haley kind of had this sort of a moment, although I thought she said a whole lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. You thought it was very good at the last debate. And tonight she repeated twice her pro-life record in her opening. And she really didn't say a lot. But what did you think, Simone, about her? I thought that it was a, an intentional avoidance about the issue of abortion tonight. Because, I mean, the Repub- the RNC, the candidates on that stage, the voters, they see everything that we see. They've seen the reaction and the response when it comes to uh, abortion and reproductive freedom in this country. They hear from people on the campaign trail that are also Republicans. Republican women don't want to be told what to do uh, with their bodies as much as Democratic women or independent women do either. So I think that it was an admission on the RNC and the debate moderators part and and uh, tacit acceptance and co-signed by the candidates on that stage that no one felt the need to bring up abortion, that no one felt the need to bring up guns. Yeah, I, I didn't surprise me. It would have surprised <laughs> me if they brought it up. No, no, that, that's fair. But, but it just not? was a bigger because because this is not an issue that's going to move numbers for you in the Republican Party. They're all of one mind on those issues. So why am I going to get on the stage and try to relitigate something that we've already won litigation on? So the reality for and this is this is we're looking at this through a general election lens. These individuals are in a Republican primary that's going that's trying to get 25 percent of every registered Republican in the country to vote for them, because that's about what the turnout's going to be. Right. So that issue, those issues, particularly on the hit, they're not going to talk about the shooting that happened today. There's no way in hell they're bringing that up. Maybe some of those children that got shot. But wait, then I, I need help. I understand help. it, but I'm trying to. But Get back to I'm understanding some things. Help me out, like, help me understand the entire exchange they had about Nikki Haley wanting people to have to use their actual name as their username. Mm. I mean, I, I get that it's supposed to be like a big brother government argument, theoretically, but I just, I thought I was lost. And I understand that I am not a Republican primary voter. I had no idea what they were talking about, nor did I have any idea who that was supposed to be appealing to or motivating. It seemed there were a number of times where they got real weedy on things that they almost that perceived is, to be hot button issues, but I quite frankly could not follow. This is very true. We do have, if we have it, this is number 16, which has a bunch of uh, attacks on Nikki Haley. And some of them, to your point, Alicia, were quite obscure, um, which is kind of interesting. So when we have that, we can play it. Do we have it? 
Not yet. Okay, okay. but I can backfill on that. So okay. on on the on the Twitter uh, name using your real name thing, there have been a number of us, myself included, going back almost eight years now, seven years, almost the beginning of Twitter, who believe part of the problem that we see on social media is that when I hide behind a mask, oh, people attack. You don't. I can attack you, and I don't have to worry about my boss saying anything to me tomorrow morning when I go in. I don't have to worry about my mama coming down in the basement and saying, "What the hell you doing, boy?" Right. So the there's this there's this movement. It's not a big one. It's a very small one that says. Strip that way. You are required now to use your your name, your legitimate legal name, at Michael Steele. Wow. At Jen Psaki. So that you don't, I mean, then you can say at Michael Steele, cowboy number 207, right? But you've got to use your would own that name. Be it? That would not be <laughs> it. Can I just say, Robert this is it. why the Republican Party Alicia, apparatus is losing it. young people. <laughs> young people love the Finstas. They love a fake Twitter account. We, we, the, the millennials, the, young, the Gen Zers, they want to look at I get Finsta. it, but look at, but look at what it has wrought. Look at what it has wrought. So now you've got to try to balance that. And so there, there are legitimate arguments. It's not a Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal argument. It's a cross-section of people who are thinking about this issue who are looking at ways in which we can begin to at least stem some of the hate and vitriol and bile that's emerging on these platforms when I get to hide behind a fake name and okay, you don't so, know so now, who I am. So now, Chairman, you have caught me up. I still don't understand who that, that attack. Do you have your sound, Jen? You want to play uh, the well, sound? Look, I was going to say we can play it, and I okay. totally get this. Now, because, I, I, Alicia, you're a mom, too. As I, What I get about this, and when Nikki mm-hmm. Haley talked, was like, yeah, I don't want people to be. Well, I don't like being attacked by anonymous people. Right. I'd rather you be. But but anyway, okay. Let's play. Let's play the Nikki Haley match just because I think I want to. Ta- I want to hear from Gibbs on kind of what he thinks this means in terms of what they think Nikki Haley's prowess in the primary is. You have other candidates up here like Nikki Haley. She caves. Anytime the left comes after her, anytime the media comes after her, if you're somebody that's going to be the president of the United States and you can't stand up against child abuse, how are you going to be able to stand up for anything? That. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the U.N. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt and she should come nowhere near the levers of power, let alone the White House. I, I love all the attention, fellas. <laughs> I did love the I love all the attention fellas moment. OK, but Gibbs, I was thinking watching her. It, I'm not making a parallel here, but like we both worked for Obama when he was on the rise. I'm not suggesting she's going to beat Trump in the primary, but it always tells you something right when everybody's going after one candidate. So what did you take away from that aspect? Well, I think there's no doubt. I mean, th- this is three other candidates chasing a balloon that's gaining altitude much, much faster than any of them are. Uh, in fact, you know, Vivek has lost uh, some um, lots of momentum. I think Ron DeSantis has too. Clearly, these guys had taken their debate binders and just emptied them tonight. Any attack, <laughs> all attacks, Oppo, Oppo, just drop everything. Just drop all of it. I mean, to Alicia's point, like even if they didn't understand it or the people at home didn't understand it, they were going to blame it on Nikki Haley. And I thought it was, yeah, you know, at the beginning. <laughs> You know, at the beginning, you know, they, they asked the electability question and right oh, off the no. bat, you know, somebody attacked Nikki Haley. I, I thought to myself, if you're Nikki Haley, you should say, look, if anybody wants to know about electability on the stage, everybody's attacking me. That's the answer to your question. Look, they realize, again, 40 days. If Ron DeSantis finishes third in Iowa, it's all over. 
right? And and you know if if Nikki if Haley has enough Nikki money, Haley's even. got to figure yeah. out a way to beat Donald Trump in one of these two races. Those those other competitors know they can't let her do that, uh, and they they've got to attack her I, again. I think her strategy was one of just trying to play cool. I, I think she kind of. Got a little flummoxed again, trying to figure out what to respond to, what to ignore, probably a little bit off. Um, I, 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 but it, there's no doubt if you look at, I mean, if you look at any of the polling, you, you talk to people that have seen it privately, uh, you know, she's on the ascent. And these guys are thinking to themselves, I've got one last really public chance to try to catch her. And I want to start that tonight. And I'm going to attack her on anonymous Twitter names. Um, right. You know, Robert Gibbs, thank you so much uh, for always giving us lots of wisdom. And next time you will have snacks and caffeine yes. as well as well, Alicia. But we got it <laughs> right. These guys have snacks. Um, but we're going to go back to Brian Tyler Cohen um, because he has um, more questions and maybe more thoughts. Brian, what have you been thinking about about the debate? What have we missed talking cool. about here? Well, you know, one thing just to, to build on the usernames aspect of it, which was kind of an obscure topic, was yeah, we spoke about, you know, Vivek bringing up provinces in eastern Ukraine. There was also talk of cryptocurrency. There was talk of arming Taiwanese families with AR-15s. There was talk of blocking <laughs> the Andaman Sea. I mean, either I really don't understand Republican primary base voters or these candidates don't understand Republican primary base voters, because I, I just can't see a world in which these super obscure, really specific topics are are what the Republican base wants to talk about. But again, I, I, you know, I, I'm not I, the it, audience. So, it, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it kind of dovetails back into a little bit what Alicia was saying um, before Robert left us. And, and, and it's the idea with this base when they're bringing up these topics, it's not for the substance of the topic. No, it's for it's for it's for. Thank you, Alicia. Yes, it's vibes. It's vibes. That's exactly what it is. is. But but though sometimes the conversations remind me of like somebody like a freshman hall conversation (laughs) where like somebody's had two classes in Ukrainian history and they're like debating it in the hallway, drunk at two in the morning. I mean, that's That's a little bit of sometimes what their comments remind me of. But yeah, it's like the dump of the oppo research is like the best explanation. And just like they want some obscure Republican voters who are going to turn out in some of these states to be like, I like the guy who said the thing about the provinces. But but it even beyond that it, right. it so when, when you're talking about the name thing it's about the government intrusion oh yeah it's about the government decision that now you're going to have to disclose who you are publicly because the government said so that's all that was about the legitimacy of the point was lost on those who were attacking her what she was saying i'm raising my kids yeah and this is the environment they're in so she's trying to appeal to rational moms and yes. dads out there which is why she doubled back and said i, know, I was like oh right right yeah exactly those lines chris christie made that point when he when talking about the um his comments that he had made previously in defense of parents being able to make the choices for their children yes and yeah. he made the Republican Party voters don't want the government telling you what to do argument. That's right. What do you say, Alicia? One of the things I was struck by as I was watching this was sort of the art of projection that we've seen from 
from Trump, mostly, um, but you saw Ramaswamy really doing that, this whole idea where he tried to say that we're marching towards fascism under Biden, under Jack Smith, every last retweet that someone has issued from Donald Trump in the year 2020. And what I wondered about was just sort of the impact that that has on the electorate generally, right? That we can all sit here and say, yeah, we can sit here and say, it's a conspiracy theory, plain and clear. There is no actual validity to it. He has no facts to back it up. They're the people that will motivate. They're the base voters, Republican base voters, who will motivate to go out. I, the people I worry about are, are people who, you know, are busy. They may not be consuming a ton of news. Um, they are going to tune in and, like, this is going to be what they hear. And in as much as it is a lie— depending on where you get that information from, it might exist to you as a fact. And even if that doesn't motivate you to go vote for a Republican, I think there's always the concern that it just demotivates you at all, that it makes you not interested in the process, makes you not have faith in the process and not have faith in any of the players. Alicia, can I just quickly follow up? I think it's a good point. But the question I would ask, if I'm a voter who's tuning in at that point, let's say, September of next year, and this some of this stuff is kind of being replayed or coming mm. back into play. Do you think their reaction is going to be one of, well, oh my God, I never, I can't, I can't support that, or it's like, what the hell are they talking about? Well, I, I think to Alicia's point, because I've been thinking about this too, Alicia, and it struck me, Trump is doing this purposefully, right? Right. When he yes. is saying. Biden is anti-democratic. He had he had signs that were black and white saying Biden is anti-democratic, right? He did crooked Hillary mm-hmm. in 2016. It worked. And the projection it can be effective. Right. And if you see, look in the polls in the NBC poll, there's only a 2% gap between in the country of the public who thinks Trump is corrupt versus Biden, Biden is corrupt. corrupt. Right. So it's like, are they tuning in a year and saying, what the heck? Maybe. But they're also like, ah, everyone's corrupt. Ah, right. everyone. And yeah. that's, I think, the challenge. Okay, Brian, we got to get to some questions before we wrap this up. Who, who, what questions do we have? Okay, so here's a question from Luca Kylie. We have, what is it going to take for Biden to get back the support that he's losing right now? Look, I think Simone, it's early. Just give us the it's campaign early. plan. Look, people, it's early. I, ta- I right, called the people the other I day. This is when I to drink. I called the people the other day and I asked There's them. There's water in there. But one, I think it's early. <laughs> Two, I think the people need not be resting back on their laurels that it's early. So while it's early, you need to work early. And I think that some of this is people saying that they're, they're not going to vote or they don't feel tuned in or they don't like what Joe Biden did. And then... But, you know, come November, they are going to, you know, do the thing. But I think that there is real cause for real concern, which is why I think it is very important that the campaign get on the ground, that they get in the community, that they talk to voters, that they are running an aggressive surrogates program on the ground, that they put people on television to de- aggressively defend the president. He is out here getting mollywhopped around every day and the people are not defending him. And I think those things will help kind of claw back some support, but you have to, you got to give the voters something. You have to, the people need to know what they are buying and the Biden campaign. They have something to sell. They need to go out there and sell it. More sell, 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 as they say. Brian, what else you got? All right. So this one, uh, let's go to Alicia for this one. This is from Griff. Which GOP primary candidate is most likely to drop out next and who do you think they'll endorse? Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. Again, more fantasy 
political football. That's stuff. right. And, yeah. and this is all on the record. So I thought it was interesting <laughs> that, um, you know, Hutchinson wasn't on the stage tonight. Could have been like I thought that that like I I don't know. It, it's clearly not Haley, both because there is now, you know, money and wind in her sales. I think Chris Christie makes a decision. I think he knows why he's here. So he stays in it. I don't I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong, Michael. I don't think DeSantis drops. No, nope. I think if he has I money, think, as long as he has money, as like, long as they have money, he's got money. Yeah. As long as there are resources, I don't I don't know that any of these four drop. The only the only way they they drop is and, and since this was the last debate. Yeah, they're not. Everyone's going to ride now to at least the caucus. Now, if there were one more debate, the RNC would sort of work the, the yeah. edges so that probably Vivek would not make the cut. But but now they can just like eat peanut so butter now, and jelly and that's ramen it. in so their basement. So now they're just doing the thing all the way through. So I, I think you're right, Alicia. You're not going to see anyone get out at this point because the caucus is in 40 days. And then you've got uh, New Hampshire right after that. And and they're just like, let's do it. We'll let's just lock hang in. It. Why not? Yeah. All right, Brian, what else you got? All right. So I think I'm going to try to throw out a question here. I'll, I'll ask this to you, Jen, and that is, do you okay. think that anybody on that stage would be a viable candidate for Trump's vice presidential pick? And and I have a thought on this, so this is why I'm asking this, <laughs> is because there, there are two trains of thought. Like, one, on one hand, there is the Carrie Lakes and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, yeah. uh, who are very clearly the Trump loyalists that he needs and that he's kind of promised to surround himself with if he were to win a second term. But at the same time, those people pose a little bit of a risk because they take attention away from somebody whose whole reason for being is to get attention. So do you think that he'll opt for uh, that he would opt for someone of like the the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Carrie Lake ilk or someone like a Nikki Haley who might be more the Mike Pence route to give some voters a permission structure. Well, as much as Trump is a sycophant, he also is like practical and he wants to win. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think my bet is he'd pick somebody mm -hmm. who he thinks would help him win. That's my bet. Now, I'm not in Trump's head. I would think on that stage, he's never going to help pick Chris Christie. Ron DeSantis, I guess, if he thinks it helps him win Florida, but he'll win Florida anyway, and he doesn't get him much otherwise. I'm not actually—the Nikki Haley case, I'm just not sure if that is, like, yeah. a bet he would make. Um, so I kind of would go the Carrie Lake route, um, but I don't know. What do you I think? Don't, I don't think I don't think the his choice is on that stage. Yeah. I don't think Donald Trump is going to be looking for anyone who's going to help him this time because he needed that the first time because yeah. he was an outsider looking in. He owns this party, so he doesn't need help. And the Pence thing. But in a general election, he doesn't need help. Mike Pence helped him get help assuage the fears of the evangelicals. But and now so they that love him. No, no, now no, they're no, like, whatever. Yeah, well, sorry, you know. so what about the me, women? Tell me what vote is going to vote uh, for Trump. Suburban if, women? They will vote they, for Trump if who's on the, on the ticket? Nikki? Not Nikki Haley. I don't think Nikki Haley helps get helps get some of the well, suburban women. who is that women. person who gets suburban women for Donald Trump who I, had suburban women without I think they're unknown. Like, a, like how Mike Johnson was unknown until he was the Speaker of the House. I, I think, think that I his vice presidential pick is someone that we have not given attention to. Who would you pick if you're advising him? I am probably Elise Stefanik or... Um, oh, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. She's going through a real transition <laughs> of yeah. sorts. Uh, yeah. um, okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Look, there's, there's a practical aspect to Elise 
that that works for Trump on, on a number of levels. And I just think that it, someone like that is much more. See, this is not about who helps him. This is about who will do what he tells them to do. No, that's I don't true. Know. It's a different moment. I still think moment. that you have to win a general election. And to win a general election, the voters have to vote for you. And they have to want to like who they're going to vote for. So I, if I'm Donald Trump, I need a lady that they like because they I'm a womanizer. They've already, they've already worked the vote. Well. Simone, that's why they got all those election folks out there that oh, no one paid to attention the election. to. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. We have not found a viable female suburban woman who Trump likes quite yet. Maybe some people out there have an answer for that. Michael, Simone, Alicia, thank you so much. And Brian, of course, our YouTube star. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, and Brian. thanks to you at home for watching. We See hope you guys. all had as much fun as we did. For now, goodbye from Washington. Great job, Jen. Great job. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.